Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Jude. Our text, majority of our text will come from this short epistle that we have here at the, the end of the New Testament, the epistle of Jude. It's good to see everyone this morning. We are so uh, glad to see so many visitors. I was having a discussion with, with Brother Paul back in the back there a few minutes ago about uh, vacation spots in the world. Um, the wintertime is usually our busy time uh, because people come down here from, from the north and uh, spend their, their winters down here. And in the summertime, it, I say it's our slow season, but if you look around, it's kind of hard to, to, to say that. Um, but we're so grateful that we have uh, vacationers that come in the summertime and, uh, and come through here, and many of them come every year, which is, which is often the case. And we're so delighted to have you here and uh, have you a part of the worship here this morning on this Lord's Day. I want to speak this morning about something that, that Jude says here in his letter. Uh, starting in verse 1, it says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. A typical greeting as we see New Testament writers uh, typically make, uh, writing to those who have been saved, those who are members of the kingdom. And he says there in verse 3, he says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the, necess- uh, the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude tells us right there that he had a certain uh, mindset in, in sitting down to write to them, but it was changed. He said, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but I felt it necessary to write to you about something else. And what he felt necessary to write to them about was what he says there about contending earnestly for the faith. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, about contending earnestly for the faith. As uh, I mentioned, Jude is writing to Christian brethren. He's writing to those who... Uh, who have put on Christ, those who uh, know about the gospel and have decided that they would obey the gospel. But he's writing to tell them that it, that's wonderful that you have obeyed the gospel, but there's something else that you need to, to make sure that you're doing, and that is you need to make sure that you're contending earnestly for the faith. And why is that? Well, he says there in verse 4, "...for certain persons have crept in unnoticed." Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. He's given them a warning, as so many of the New Testament writers do, that you need to be aware of false teachers. You need to be wary of false doctrine. Because it creeps in. Sometimes it comes in uh, just bursting through the door and it's easy to recognize. Other times, most times, I, I would dare say, that it creeps in. It creeps in unnoticed. But it's our responsibility to make sure that when we recognize it, that we address it. And that's what gets to the heart of what Jude is saying here, that we need to contend earnestly for the faith. So I'd like to just share a few thoughts with you this morning about this idea and, and use this text as our, as our basis. And so we have a picture here of a prize fighter um, going into the ring. What is it that a, that a fighter does, that a boxer does? He goes there to contend. He goes there to, uh, to put up a, 
a fight. Not just to, to, to sit back and be beaten down, but to indeed put up a fight. So that's what we want to keep in mind as we, as we go through our lesson this morning. That we need to be ready to fight and contend for the faith. But why? Why do we need to contend? Isn't that my job? Isn't that the job of the elders? Isn't that the job of the deacons and, and as they help the, the elders and help the brethren themselves? Isn't that their job? Aren't they the ones that are hard to contend? Well, I don't want to get too far off on that line, but just understand that where do elders and preachers and deacons come from? They come from among us, don't they? We need to be well prepared. We need to be progressing and growing so that maybe one day we are an elder. Maybe one day we have all the qualifications that, uh, that would lead us to be an elder, and we desire to be an elder. That's not going to come overnight. That's going to come through years of study and contending earnestly for the faith. So we need to all be uh, involved in the fight in one way or another. But let's understand a few points that, that Jude makes here, why, why it is that we should contend. First of all, let's understand we need to contend for the faith because the scripture is complete. Jude says they're once for all delivered to the saints. So the point he's making here as he's writing here later on in, in, um, in the history of, of the first century there as the church is, is being established and being encouraged through these letters, uh, he's telling them that, uh, it's, that you know this. It's been delivered to all the saints. If we look at passages like Colossians 1, 6, and also in verse 23 of Colossians 1, Paul says the same thing about being delivered to all the earth, how the gospel has gone out into all the earth. And so what we're talking about here is, is a completeness of Scripture. In other words, we don't need any, any latter-day revelation. There's nothing more coming from God, especially for us today. There's nothing more coming from God. He's given us all things that we need. He's given us everything that we need. So that's why we need to contend earnestly for it. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 27, as Paul is, is completing his third missionary journey there, and uh, he's in Miletus, I believe, and he calls for the Ephesian elders to come to him. He has some things he wants to say to them. And he tells them about, uh, about uh, being, being on guard against these wolves that would come in and not spare the flock. And he, and he tells them there in verse 27 that I have not held anything back from you. I've given you the whole counsel of God. And so that's our duty. My duty as a preacher is to, is to present the whole counsel of God. And I get to have the benefit of having the complete scriptures. There's nothing else coming from God than what he's already said. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, one of my favorite passages, and again, that list is growing, uh, he says there that, that through his divine nature, he's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So what does that leave out? doesn't leave out anything. All things pertaining to life and godliness. So as we think about why it is that we should, should contend earnestly for the faith, we need to make sure that we are holding to the fidelity of the scriptures and understand that God has given us all things that we need. So there's no reason for any Latter-day Saints. There's no reason for any um, Latter-day Revelation or Latter-day Saints. There's no reason for interpretation uh, and 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 going off on some tangent um, that men have twisted uh, to their own destruction, as we'll talk about here in a moment, 
There's no need for that. God's given us all things. So let's hold to the fidelity of the scriptures. Something else that we can see why it is that we should contend is what I just mentioned there is that, is that doctrine can be twisted. Jude says that ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness, into lewdness, I believe, as David read from the New King James. In other words, there, there are those in Jude's time, and certainly in ours, that want to twist things. They want to pervert the gospel. They want to make it say what they want it to say, rather than what God has said. And so we need to stand up for that. We need to contend earnestly for the faith. In 2 Peter 3 and verse uh, 16, let's go there. 2 Peter 3 and verse 16. Peter admits that Paul has said some things that are hard to understand. Those words are chosen carefully. Some some things are hard to understand. It does not say that all things are impossible to understand. It does not say that all things are are impossible or or some things are impossible to understand. Some things are hard to understand. But look what he says as he goes on there. In which uh, these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You see, if we're untaught and we're unstable, then we can fall victim to this. We can fall victim to, to doing it ourselves, and we can fall victim of having it done to us, being led astray. If we don't know the scriptures, if we aren't contending earnestly for the faith, we might be led away because we don't know what the truth is. That's why it's important for us to, to hold to sound doctrine. That's why it's important for us to do this earnestly because doctrine can be twisted. And one last point that, he, that Jude makes here and why we should contend for, for the faith is that, that Jesus can be denied. We are created as uh, beings that have free will. We can choose whether or not we uh, want to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, we make a decision of accepting Jesus or denying Jesus. Jude says it this way, in denying our only master and Lord. And he's talking about these that have crept in unaware, those who are leading people astray, there's a very serious danger in that. It's one thing to fall away on our own. It's another to, to take others along with us. So we need to make sure that we are contending uh, earnestly for the faith. Look over in Galatians chapter 1. Such a wonderful example of a terrible thing. If, that, if that's good grammar, I don't think, I don't think so, but... Galatians 1 is a, is a stunning example, I think. Maybe that's better, better said. As Paul's writing to the Galatians, he says there in verse 6, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we... Uh, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. 
Because there's one gospel. There's not another gospel. As, as, as Paul makes mention here, there's not another gospel. They might be preaching to you something, but it's not another gospel. It's false. Because there's only one gospel. But he says there, even if an angel from God comes um, and teaches you something contrary to what God's will is, let that person be accursed. That strikes at contending earnestly for the faith, doesn't it? If we're going to contend earnestly for something, and we're going to look at what earnestly means here in just one moment, um, we ought to be convicted of it. So much so that nothing is going to sway us from that. Why should we contend earnestly for the faith? Because we run the risk of denying who Jesus Christ is. Denying the Master and Lord. We need to make sure that we're not doing that. Not falling into the trap of these Galatians and deserting so quickly the gospel and turning to something else. So those are, are some of the whys, but how about the how? How is it that we are to contend earnestly for the faith? Well, the easy answer is we contend earnestly. <laughs> Get the easy ones out of the way first. What does it mean to contend earnestly? Earnestly means with sincere and intense conviction. It means that you're taking something seriously. Should we contend for the faith? No, we should contend earnestly for the faith. We should contend with, with a sincere conviction. These are the words of life. This is, this is how God has chosen to save mankind from sin. That should be taken seriously. That's worthy of contending for. That's worthy of contending earnestly for. One thing to keep in mind is that that doesn't give us license uh, to be contentious. Look over in 2 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> we, need to, we need to draw a distinction here between earnestly and contentiously because I think we can, we can cross over that line if we're not careful. To contend earnestly means with sincerity and, and intense conviction. Contentiously goes over into another another realm where you're standing on people, beating them down. 2 Timothy 2, beginning of verse 24, it says, And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Do we have a contradiction here? Paul is saying, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, patient when wrong, kind to all. Can I be those things and still be earnest? Of course. I can be earnest in my conviction. I can be contending that way, but I can still be gentle. I can still be um, patient when I'm wronged. I can be um, uh, kind to all. That's where we have to make sure we draw those battle lines. We can contend earnestly and not be contentious. 
and to make sure we're doing it out of love. Remember, as we spoke about in our Bible class this morning, all the world are potential Christians. Let's make sure that we are doing our best to, to reach them. Contending earnestly, yes, but being gentle and doing it out of love. Here's another way that God in His, in his, his grace and His mercy have, has given us that, it, that allows us to contend, and that is that He's given us the ability to gear up. He's given us the things that we need to make sure that we can contend. Um, he's provided all that we need. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. A, a passage here I'm sure you're familiar with and probably popped to your mind as we started thinking about how we might go about contending. Paul expresses it as a, as a soldier going into battle. And he describes the armor that that soldier would put on. And he says it this way, beginning in verse 13 of Ephesians 6. He says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist the, the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Doesn't that speak of contending earnestly? Stand firm, therefore, verse 14, having girded your loins with the truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Sometimes offhandedly say, you know, someone's leaving their Bible, don't forget your sword. Don't leave your sword behind. It's really a good way to say it, isn't it? It's a sword. It's able to cut, as the Hebrew writer talks about, separating bone from marrow and soul from spirit. It's powerful. And he's given that to us. We have it. We are able to hold it in our hands. We're able to, to, to read it and digest it and, and to know it. And that's how God expects us to, to, to gear up. Put it on, to use it in battle. So he hasn't left us um, out in the wind. He hasn't left us um, without protection. He's given us his word, the things that we need so that we can contend. One last point on this about how it is that we contend. We need to make sure that we, that we don't entertain false doctrine. Jude says that those have, have, have crept in. Um, but now it's time for you to, to, to put an end to it. To contend earnestly for the faith. To make sure that that stops now the false doctrine. And so this mindset ought to be ours that we don't even entertain false doctrine. Now we can, we, we can have open hearts and open minds when it comes to God's word. But let's not entertain false doctrine. Let's not argue in the alternative. And, and, and you've probably had these conversations in, in, your, in, your, in your spiritual life. Well, what about this? What about what these people believe? Well, what about uh, what this denomination says? That's arguing, arguing in the alternative. As Christians, we ought to, to argue in God's word. Here's what God's word says. I don't need to know everything about every other denomination. It's good to know. It's good to have an understanding of those things so that you can at least have some, 
some form of footing of common ground in a conversation. But our job is to know God's word and not to entertain anything that comes along and any, any whim of mankind that might come along and say, well, what about this? And, well, let's, let's take this and, and move down this road. No. It's a straight and narrow path that we go down. 1 Timothy 6. Turn there for just a second. <clears throat> Here's the idea about not arguing, arguing in the alternative. Paul warns Timothy about those who like to do this kind of thing. It says there, beginning of verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 6. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and the pride of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. I dare say, brethren, that we know somebody that fits that, that description. It's sad, but it's true. That there are those who want to argue about everything. And in so doing, they stir up strife. Contentious. Always having something going on. What is The kingdom of God is not that. The kingdom of God is peace and love. Patience. Not stirring up strife. So we don't need to entertain false doctrine. Don't even go down the road, as we might say. Stand up for the truth. If we don't do it, then who is going to do it? Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, as he's talking about his commission as an apostle and the other apostles, those that are going about uh, spreading the word, teaching the gospel, establishing the churches, establishing Christianity, as it were. He expresses it as we've been, that uh, we have the treasure entrusted in earthen vessels. In other words, God has entrusted these men to, to go out and spread the gospel. That was their mission. We read about them in the book of Acts. We read about them in the letters that, they, that Paul writes during his, during his journeys and other times and, and other, the others that are writing these things. But this is what they're going about doing. God has entrusted these men to do that. He's given them uh, all the things that they need, given them the Holy Spirit. He's given them the knowledge through the Holy Spirit, all those things that they need. And they're to go about and, and establish Christianity, establish the church. And then it's up, for the, up to them to pass that on to the next generation. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, the things which you have heard from me, again, this is Paul talking to the young evangelist Timothy, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you see, there's the, there's the handing down. God has entrusted the spread of the gospel to these, to these men, and then these men are entrusting the spread of the gospel to other men. So when we think about contending earnestly for the faith, if we don't do it, who's going to? It's up to us. It's up to us as Christians, as children of God, 
to make sure that we are standing up for the gospel. Preachers, yes. Elders, yes. Deacons, yes. Saints, yes. We all have a part in this. We all play different roles. But we all have a part in contending for the faith. Look with me in Romans chapter 10. Paul expresses it this way as he's writing to the Romans. As he's talking about uh, the word going out and the, the converting people, making believers, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 10, he says, For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches uh, for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. See, there's that. Uh, there's that going out. There's the, the, the hearing of, uh, of God's word and the progression then. How is it that, how will they call upon God? How will we know God if we don't have someone out there proclaiming God? And this is the plan that God has set up. That the, the gospel continues to ring out, but it rings out in the hearts of men and women. Verse 16, however, they did not all heed the glad tidings, for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? That speaks to the idea that the message is going out, but not everyone's going to heed it. Not everyone's going to hear it. Not everyone's going to believe it. But that's out of our realm. We talked about the parable of the sower this morning. The sower goes out and sows seed. Come along and water it. Nurture that, but it's going to be God that provides the increase. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, verse 17. If not us, who is going to do it? If it's not us standing up, contending earnestly for the faith, ringing out the gospel, who is going to do it? So brethren, let's contend earnestly for the faith. Let's make sure that we are convicted of what it is that we know and love and believe. Let's make sure that we contend for that. Let's make sure that we're uh, not arguing an alternative, not entertaining false doctrine. Let's make sure that we're standing up for the, the, the fidelity of the scriptures, that they are complete and they should not be twisted, interpreted to fit our needs. Or rather, our lives should be molded to fit the word of God. Let's contend earnestly for the faith. We offer an invitation, as we always do at the end of our time. What did I say? 479. I know that my Redeemer lives. Let's contend earnestly for the faith. Let's be convicted of what, the, of what it says in this song. I know that my Redeemer lives. 
I don't think my Redeemer lives. I don't assume my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to make the necessary changes in your life to become one. And if as a child of God you are not contending earnestly for the faith, make the necessary changes in that as well. Whatever you might need, you can come forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.